the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. the story among many things you could say is that when Jesus heals him I suspect and doesn't specifically say this you know Jesus is the one healing him right so he's like right here in front of the guy and the very first time this guy sees he sees the face of Jesus imagine this this man that everybody else wanted to dismiss is just another blind beggar who sits at the city entrance of Jericho is now the one to whom Jesus is directed to heal. Today's message introduces you to someone who is healed from being blind. His world has been dark, possibly since his birth. And yet today, you'll join Jesus as this man sees the world. And what's even more incredible, Pastor Gary will share who this man sees first, Jesus himself. What an amazing idea to have the Son of God, the one who healed you, be the first face you recognize. It's the same thing that happens when you give your life to Christ. Your spiritually blind heart is healed, and you get to see Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 19 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So we're here in Luke chapter 18. We left off uh, near the end of Luke chapter 18, about verse 31. Again, just to kind of remind you where the scene is here, Jesus is on his way from the Galilee region, which is in the northern part of Israel, to Jerusalem, which is in kind of the middle central Israel. But whenever the Jews would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem, no matter if they were going north to south, like in this case, they would always say they're going up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem not only is a little bit of a higher elevation, but is because it's a holy place. It's a place where the temple was. And so Jesus is making what we find here in Luke's gospel is his last pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the last of what the Bible and the gospels record, the last of three Passovers that Jesus celebrates with his disciples in the course of his public ministry. I'm sure in the course of his lifetime he was there more than three times, but just in the course of public ministry, three Passovers are mentioned in the Gospels. This is the last one. Jesus is making his way now from Galilee to Jerusalem. He's going to make his way by way of Samaria, and then he's going to come here to, in a moment, we're going to see Jericho, and then he's going to make the turn up to Jerusalem from Jericho, about 12 miles from the city of Jericho. And on the way then, he's having this conversation with his Disciples, And it's in verse 31 where we left off. Look at it with me. It says, Jesus took the twelve aside, twelve being his disciples, and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, 
and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has given his disciples a preview of what is to come. He is letting them know in advance to kind of soften the blow. Just want you to know uh, the Gentiles, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to insult me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. They're going to flog me, beat me, and then they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. So he's, you know, he's giving them all of this. And, you know, you got to love the, the, the apostles here. Uh, verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And these are the apostles. There are no B-apostles. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, the, and these guys don't get it. Half the time, Jesus is speaking to them, and they have no clue. But you know they looked like they knew exactly what he was talking about. You know that. You've had those kind of conversations with people who are saying things to you. You have no clue what they're talking about. You just kind of nod their, your head and smile at them. All the while, on the inside, you have no idea what they're talking about. But you just kind of go along with it. And so here, that's what's happening here. Now, notice this. He says that we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Everything written by the prophets. The sum total of the Bible from cover to cover speaks about Jesus. Even the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, a lot of times people want to kind of dismiss the Old Testament as a bunch of history stuff. And, you know, it's an angry God in the Old Testament, it appears, and people kind of dismiss the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is filled of the revelation of Jesus from cover to cover. In fact, over 350 prophecies related to Messiah, all of which were fulfilled by Jesus. You can go and you can Google the list, but let me just kind of highlight a few. I printed out a list of Several of the specific prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus. That Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, that Messiah would be born a virgin. Isaiah 7.14, that Messiah would be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14, that Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Psalm 69.8, Isaiah 53.3, that Messiah would speak in parables. Psalm 78.2-4, that Messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61, 1-2, the Messiah would be betrayed, Zechariah 11, 12-13, Messiah would be falsely accused, Psalm 35, 11. Messiah would be silent before his accusers, Isaiah 53, 7, Messiah would be spat upon and struck, Isaiah 50, verse 6, Messiah would be hated without cause, Psalm 35, 19, Messiah would be crucified with criminals, Isaiah 53, 12. Messiah would be given vinegar to drink, Psalm 69, 21. Messiah would resurrect from the dead, Psalm 16, 10, Psalm 49, 15. Messiah would ascend to heaven, Psalm 24, 7 to 10. Messiah would be seated at God's right hand, Psalm 68, 18, Psalm 110, 1. Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin, Isaiah 53, 5 to 12. I mean, the list is on and on and on, all of which was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, okay, listen, son of man, going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, going to be turned over to Gentiles, going to be flogged, beaten, going to be insulted, mocked, spat upon, crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. All hope is not lost presents all this to them. They did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. What does that mean? Was it their own ignorance? Was it their own disbelief? Was it God hiding it from them? 
maybe a combination of all the above. But for whatever reason, they didn't understand. And this wasn't the first and only time. And they didn't know what he was talking about. Other times in the gospel, it says, and they were too afraid to ask him either. They didn't want to look stupid, so they just kept their mouths shut and listened to him, but didn't understand what he meant. And Jesus here is letting them know in advance he's going to be crucified. He knows. And he wants them to be prepared. You know, this is... Maybe they didn't understand because it's so overwhelming. Can you imagine if someone comes to you with this kind of news? It's so incredible. It's so unbelievable. You don't want to listen. You don't want to hear this because this is so heart-wrenching. Jesus tells them up front, here's what's going to happen. But on the third day, he will rise again. And then Jesus, in this journey with his disciples, on the way to Jerusalem, passed by Jericho here. Now, in verse 35... It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, you can circle the town name there. And also chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So we have two stories back to back here that that happened in Jericho. Uh, You know, chapter distinctions sometimes throw off the context of the story. Uh, You know, chapter divisions were added around 1236 A.D. So, you know, there's nothing sacred about the chapter divisions. It's only to help us find places in the Bible. But, you know, if I were the one putting a chapter division, I probably wouldn't put it right there because this is an ongoing occasion here. Two events happen here in the city of Jericho. Now, a little bit of background for you folks who like to take notes about this kind of thing. Uh, Jericho, located 12 miles east of Jerusalem, about five miles west of the Jordan River, situated about 800 feet below sea level along a major trade route. Uh, The name in Hebrew is Yeriko. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. And it means place of fragrance. That's how Yeriko translates place of fragrance because it was here at Jericho that balsam, cypress, roses, and other fragrant plants and products were produced. Four times in the Bible, Jericho was called the city of palms, And in particular, we're talking date palm trees. Uh, It is surrounded by several springs, making it a natural habitation, attracting civilizations to that place for thousands of years. And it is considered to be the oldest city in the world. Now, Damascus, Syria has the distinction of being the oldest continually occupied city in the world. There's been a period of history when Jericho was not occupied. It is now again today. Uh, But it is the oldest known city in the world. And I mentioned this to you before. Uh, I visited Jericho about, I don't know, 10 years ago uh, for the first time. And uh, in my visit there, it's now in the hands of the Palestinians, part of the Palestinian territories. And so right around that time, I had visited Jericho. Wonderful Arab people who lived there. But it was the place where, you remember the story? It was the place where I was offered to smoke the hookah pipe. Now, the Arabs call it the shisha. And so, you know, I I walk in here to the old part of Jericho, and this Arab guy greets me with coffee, like tar, and says, drink coffee, smoke shisha pipe. And I was like, drink coffee, yes. Smoke shisha pipe, no. There's a thing in America called YouTube. American pastor on YouTube, smoking hookah pipe, no can do. (laughs) Beside the fact, inside I'm thinking a thousand other Arabs have smoked on this before me. So anyway, Jericho, very interesting town. This is where Jesus is here for this occasion. Now in in this city here, there's going to be two stories that come together 
And it's interesting when you see them beside each other here, because one person, he's going to encounter one person who was physically blind. That's the first story. And the second story in chapter 19, he's going to encounter one person who was spiritually blind. But both are able to see by the end of their stories. So very interesting stories here. Let's take a look at the first one. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Please note that. He asks, Who, what's all the ruckus? They say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he doesn't shout out to Jesus of Nazareth. Notice he ascribes to Jesus a messianic title. This guy knows that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. So he doesn't shout out to Jesus of Nazareth. He shouts out to Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now, of course, now they're praising God, but originally they're like telling this guy to be quiet. It was typical for for people who were blind or in any kind of need to sit at the city gates, to sit at the entrance of any kind of major town, and to beg. This is where we find this guy. Now, he is not named here in Luke's gospel. Mark in his gospel names him. The guy's name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. The combination of two words, Bar Timaeus, meaning the son of Timaeus, but literally Timaeus, uh, in, in Greek, it's kind of a combination, Bar, his Hebrew, Timaeus, it's a difficult translation because if you use the Greek root word for Timaeus, it means honorable. If you use a, a Hebrew root word for Timaeus, it means unclean. So it, it can very well be both in the sense that his real name translates son of honor, but he was seen in that day as being, Barmin's son, son of uncleanness. Because people who were physically disabled in those days, by and large, were thought to be physically disabled because there was sin in their life. It's a wrong theology, but that's what many believed in those days. Unfortunately, I still hear that kind of thing today, and it's, and it's sad. So... In his culture, he may have been seen as being unclean because he has this physical ailment here. He's blind. The Bible doesn't say if he's blind from birth. doesn't say how long he's been blind. What I love about the story, among many things you could say, is that when Jesus heals him, I suspect, and doesn't specifically say this, but you know, Jesus is the one healing him, right? So he's like right here in front of the guy. And the very first time this guy sees He sees the face of Jesus. Imagine this. This man that everybody else wanted to dismiss is just another blind beggar who sits at the city entrance of Jericho is now the one to whom Jesus is directed to heal. And when Jesus heals him, he says, your faith. First, he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And the guy says, Lord, I want to see. 
He says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, circle the word healed there. There are two words used in the New Testament in the Greek that are translated healed in English. One is therapuo. It's found 45, 40 plus times in the New Testament. And we get our English word therapy. Therapuo means to heal. That's not the word used here, though, interestingly. The word that is used here is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. Sozo is found uh, in the New Testament 122 times. Therapuo is found, again, 40 sometimes, but sozo is found 122 times. Why is this important? Because, listen, what happens to this guy is more than just a physical healing. Sozo is a word that translates the healing in the sense of the whole person. In fact, that word sozo is often translated in our English Bibles as saved. Saved. When someone gets the ultimate healing, it is the salvation of their souls. This guy had a deeper issue than just the fact that he couldn't see physically. He had a need for personal salvation. And when this guy exercises faith, what is he exercising faith in? He's not just exercising faith in the desired result. That's a mistake that a lot of people make when they think about, I gotta have faith in what? In faith in what you want? Faith in the desired result? No, no, no. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in the person of Jesus and then allow Jesus to do his good work in your life. This guy understands that he is the son of David and he puts his faith in Messiah. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah and for that, he's not only physically healed, he is spiritually healed. He receives the ultimate salvation, the ultimate healing, sozo. Jesus says, your faith has healed you, has made you whole. I love the fact that Jesus asked this guy a question because, you know, Jesus obviously knows what the guy's greatest need is here. But it reminds us, look, even though God, because he knows all things, knows what your greatest need is and my greatest need is. He wants us just to come before him in a humble way to admit it. And then he desires to meet that need in our lives. I mean, this isn't a game Jesus is playing here. But he's giving the guy an opportunity to express to him what his deepest desire is at this moment. And God is still asking you that question. What is it that he can do for you? What is it that you want God to do for you? And then believe in him as the one who can do all things, not just fixate your mind on the result that you want. Because God always knows best and will always do what is best for us, despite sometimes what we think is best. In this case, this guy got his sight physically, but also his eyes were open so that his healing occurred in a deeper spiritual way. And so immediately, verse 43, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Here's a second story, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Interesting, this is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus invites himself anywhere. (laughs) I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So here's a second story. Obviously, this guy is not physically blind, but he's spiritually blind. The Bible tells us his name is Zacchaeus here. A Zacchaeus from the Hebrew word Zacchaeus, which means pure. Uh, he probably wasn't seen as very pure by his fellow Jews because he's what? He's a tax collector. And he's not just any tax collector. He is, your Bible says, a chief tax collector. So he's really risen among the ranks. He's like the top of the IRS agents here, okay? He is a tax collector supreme. Your King James Bible calls him a publican. They have to understand how the view of publicans were or tax collectors in those days. I mean, it was a whole lot worse. And if you have problems with the IRS now, you should have been living in these days because these people were despised. I mean, he was in a profession that was despised. The Jewish Talmud said that you had permission to lie to a murderer, a thief, and a tax collector. That's what the Jewish Talmud teaches. You can lie to a murderer, a thief, and a tax collector because they're all the same. Now, it's interesting, too, because even though obviously Jesus was not prejudiced against anybody, loved everybody, he actually talks in Matthew 18, Jesus does, about the order in which you need to confront someone who has offended you and it's interesting when you look at it, you've got to understand the context. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about, first, if someone has offended you, go to him or her alone. Go privately. If they don't listen to you, take another person with you that everything might be established by two or three witnesses. And if they still don't listen to you, take it to the church. What's this? It's implied church leadership, not that you air the dirty laundry publicly before the whole congregation. Take it to the church, and if he still doesn't repent... Then you're to treat him, Jesus says in Matthew 18, treat him like a pagan and a tax collector. That's what Jesus said. Now, again, it wasn't that Jesus is being discriminating against pagans and tax collectors. He's letting people know in the context of Matthew 18, if somebody is so stubborn and unrepentive and you've gone through all these steps, privately confronting, taking two or more, then taking to the church leadership, they still don't, then you were to just, you were to excommunicate them. That's what he's saying. You're to treat them because of their sin and they're unrepentant, you're to treat him as a pagan and a tax collector. And he only said that in the context of helping his hearers understand, you know how you guys don't like tax collectors? That's how you to treat this guy. So even Jesus acknowledged in that little formula how tax collectors were so disliked. Zacchaeus is among those. He is so disliked by his fellow Jews, in part because a tax collector was seen as part of the arm of the Roman government tax collector would take taxes from the people to give to the Roman government, and then they would also gouge the people with additional taxes in some way, additional fees to line their own pockets. That's how they made a living. We'll take something from you for Rome, and then you need to throw in a little bit more for me. So see, the Jews thought of Zacchaeus as a traitor. They thought of any tax collector as a traitor. You're not really one of us. You're not really a Jew because you work for the stinking Roman government and you're lining your pockets in the process by robbing from me. Which is why, since they in some ways have disassociated themselves, like you're just a, you know, a stinking tax collector, you're not one of us. Which is why, at the end of the story, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This guy's a fellow Jew like the rest of us. He's saying... 
And this guy needs salvation as much as anybody else. And he pulls Zacchaeus into the circle of the saved. Not to reject him just because of what he does. But he's a tax collector. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website, Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.